chapter 9, Nehemiah, is in the early third of your Bible before Psalms. Um, after Ezra, Second Chronicles, First Chronicles, and that stuff back there, you'll find Nehemiah chapter 9. We went through this book in about 2010. I don't know how many of you were here, but if you remember the verse on the cover of your bulletin, I'll recite it for you. Then you'll remember that every week that we went through the book of Nehemiah, I made everybody say this verse. He who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Because Nehemiah fits this story of a city broken down without walls. The enemy takes control. You could even have a temple in that city like Jerusalem did during the time of Ezra. And you still, you can, they'll let you meet in your temple, but you can't work out from your temple and conduct life in your city the way God would have you to do. And the enemies were fine with them having temple. It's kind of like, go ahead, go to church all you want. But as soon as you start to let it influence your life outside the doors of this church, the enemy is going to get mad and try to control you, you know. So really, church isn't where you come. Church is what you are. And that's a biblical understanding of church, ecclesia, the body of Christ, the body, the gathering together of us. And so, too, we can learn from their example. Now, what happened in Nehemiah chapter 9, after Nehemiah came and built the walls and put up the gates, and now they can function and they're working on it. And the first thing they do is gather in chapter 8 out in the public square in front of the temple area, and they start reading the law. And they, people start crying. They start explaining to them or giving them the language of it or giving them the understanding of it. And the people begin in mass to weep. You know, we think, um, oh, I'll go on a big thing about this emotion thing. You know, that you, no, not that you shouldn't have emotion, that you should. That it's not wrong to be touched by God in sorrow for your sin. That's a good thing. <laughs> to stay there is not good. To be touched is good. To be grieved by it. They were, but the leaders said to them, but folks, today's a day of rejoicing. Stop your tears, give gifts to each other, and celebrate because the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's a good answer to those tears, right? That's a good end to that process that has to happen. But then they celebrated tabernacles on the 15th through the 22nd because this is the seventh month that they're in. And that would be the normal process that they should have been doing of going out into booths and celebrating and remembering the 40 years in the wilderness and God's giving of the law to them. But now we read verses 1 of 3 of chapter 9 and watch what happens. Now on the 24th day, that's two days after the end of Tabernacles. There's not a holiday right now. It's not an ordained holiday. Now on the 24th day of the month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth and with dust on their heads. That means they were mourning and grieving and repenting. Then those of the Israelite lineage separated themselves from all the foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, probably three hours, and for another fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. The last thing they'll do, you'll find out, is they'll make a sure renewed covenant. These four things. So they have grief and tears, but now they're celebrating. And then after they celebrate, they've only just begun. We've only just begun to confess and to repent. 
And as they had heard the word of God, their hearts were stirred to her more. If you're truly hearing the word of God in your heart, you don't want less. You want more. You're hungry. That hunger begets a more a hunger. Yeah, you're satisfied, but you, you have a continual desire to be filled with the understanding of God and the knowledge of God. And so their hearts are stirred to confess and to have true repentance. And, you know, there it doesn't mean that we're supposed to take this picture and hate or be against foreigners. <laughs> what happened with them is that they had foreigners inside their uh, temple area. They had given a guy named Tobiah a room. You kind of have to read the rest of the story, don't you? They had given Tobiah a place in there. Tobiah was a spy and an underminer of the faith of Israel. He was with the enemies that were trying to destroy them. And he had cohorts and companions there. It was a subversive thing. And they needed to separate from ungodly influences in their life. Does that make sense? That they have a temple, but their temple is polluted because they have ungodly influences in their life. Could we do a whole study in a 10-week series on ungodly influences in our life? We'll go do that study because we're not today. Okay, <laughs> but uh, so they take him out and they read and they confess and they worship and they renew the covenant. Confession. When most people in our country think of the word confession, they think of two things. One is a small booth called a confessional. You go on one side, the priest is on the other side, and you make confession. I am not faulting the idea of confessing your sins. You just were talking about that aspect. But that's what people have in their mind, right? The other one they have is a small room with a cement floor and a one light bulb low (laughs) over your head, and you're in a chair, and there's a little wooden table, and there's a man who's a detective with a cigar blowing smoke in your face saying, Confess! Confess! Come on, it was you! Confess! That's our two pictures of confession. Could that be incomplete? (laughs) Could that be incomplete? It's an incomplete picture. Is it only to ask forgiveness or to agree with what is wrong? To say, yes, I agree. That's con- I agree I'm wrong. I-, I agree that's sin. That's a confession before God. But conf- it is that, but it includes so much more. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Now, by the way, that confession and that agreement, that's bigger than simply mouth, what we call lip service. You know, some of you have heard of Charles Blounden. How many have? Really? You owe him money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Charles Blounden, it, it, he was in the 1800s, was in 1859, he, he was the premier tightrope walker. And where do you think he walked across? Niagara Falls. In 18, yeah, now you remember him. It's 1,100-foot drop. He's a, his, his rope is 160 feet over the top of the falls, but it's 1,100 foot once you go down. And uh, he did these crazy things. He'd go back and forth, uh, carried his, um, his promoter on his back across, and the guy, that guy had faith you know, in his product, didn't he? You know? Now, are you, do, you limp, do you lip sync or are you really singing the song? <laughs> okay, you know, because like, I'm going to get on your back if you get my point. So anyway, and I know you don't. So let's move on. Um, 
It wouldn't be worth explaining. But so he took the guy on his back. He took a chair and a little cook stove, sat the chair, balanced it, and cooked an omelet in the center of, on this rope. Came back, got a wheelbarrow, filled it, they say, 350 pounds. I still can't fathom that part. And he wheelbarrowed a wheelbarrow across and back. And then he emptied the wheelbarrow. And he went to the crowd. And there were 25,000 people just, ah! He says, do you believe that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and go across and back? Yeah! Great! Who'll be first? You, sir. <laughs> All of a sudden, this faith that they had, <laughs> this absolute positive confession that they had, all of a sudden, it took on a whole other nature, a whole other attitude, a whole other thing. <laughs> Crazy, man. I'm not getting in that wheelbarrow. Yeah. See, their faith in him is a little different. You know, um, they believed by observation what they did not believe by experience. They believed by observation. Oh, yeah, I get it. Mental agreement, I get it. It was observable to them. For you, many of us, our faith is, we've observed at work. We've observed his word, and we're all growing at our different rates. We're not here to belittle each other. But a lot of times, you know, when faith is only just the observable things that you can, from a distance, identify, that's mental agreement. That's, that's knowing about God. Do you know, and I know you do, but do you know that knowing about God isn't knowing God? What we cannot expect the world, don't hold the people that don't know Jesus to a standard of understanding faith to agree to the same degree you have, and certainly not if you don't even hold the, the right degree yourself. Like, why should they? Why should they believe? They can only conceive of it as You've learned about this stuff. You got a good feeling one time or something. And now you believe this stuff because you want to. And to a degree, to a degree, they're right. We do believe because we want to. People don't believe because they don't want to, even when, and I'll show you that in a minute. But, but there's more to it for us because we know that God has revealed himself to us. Amen? Some of us here... You don't have to be there, but I'm telling you, this is the direction of faith in Jesus Christ, is that God has revealed himself to you, made himself known to you, come into your life, and you have experienced him and continue to. One of those is the awareness of sin, of what it really is. But it's more than that. And so we don't need just to know about him by observation. We need experience we can believe God and know God. And this is where people outside of our realm of faith would not comprehend with us. So you're an example to them of it in your life, and you trust the Lord to make them see what he had to make you see the same way. Because it's not like we're better. We're not. But we've seen. We've experienced, and we know. So... They believed in observation what they did not believe in experience uh, with Blounden. Let's go further. And so as you read this amazing prayer that the Levites formed uh, for the people to agree with, um, God did not, and it's important to remember, they were not informing God of anything. God, we have some information for you. <laughs> We've written it down. I just sent you a text. You know, <laughs> There's an attachment to my email. 
No, not at all. They didn't need to inform God, but they did need to express it and to confess it, and so do we. So let's see what confession really is in a bigger picture than what we kind of tend to do. Verse 5 and 6. I put 5B and 6 because 5A, 4 and 5A are all the names of these guys. Do you see them? Wave to them. Okay. They all said together, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Yeah. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, everything in them on all the creatures and all the angels, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that's in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. So their first confession is, you are Lord, you are creator of all, and you're not just the Lord, you're my Lord. Because it says, bless the Lord, your God. Whose God is he? Our God, my God. That's what he's saying, my God made everything, not because I created him to make that, he created me, and he's my God because he is creator. He's made everything I can see, and and he bridged, Lord, you bridged the gap between me and you in all that I see through Jesus Christ is for us. Through them, it was because of the rest of the call. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's my Lord and my God. That is a confession, all right? That's a confession that a Christian needs to make and needs to make again and again. And let me suggest to you what you're going to see here. A lot of the songs we sing have the kinds of confession wording in them. When we stop and let people pray out loud, nobody has to. But that's an opportunity to be able to outwardly express together and hear one another say yes to those things. God doesn't need to hear it, but we need to express it. And if you're a person, I, I don't do that stuff. You, it's okay. We're not here to corner you. But I'm going to challenge you in your own world. Do you pray out loud by yourself? It's not a law of Scripture, but it says confess with your mouth, express these things. There is Scripture that teaches you to use your mouth, not just think inside your brain. Not only do you get confused and start daydreaming, <laughs> come on now, come on, <laughs> but, but there's hearing your own voice express God's word back to him and express things will do a lot for your confidence and faith It will be in agreement with what God is trying to do in your life. And if you have never done it, it's a great... And by the way, those of you that say, I wish I could pray out loud, and it's okay if you don't. But if you want to be able to pray out loud in public, get used to praying out loud by yourself. But it's more than that. It's how you... It's from your side learning to connect and focus and hear yourself say the things that matter. I'm not saying every prayer. I'm just saying try it. You'll like it. And try it, and if you don't like it, keep trying it. (laughs) You get to do what you want, but it's an encouragement to you. And because I, I think there's people that are stuck in their prayer life, and one of the ways to get unstuck is to talk out loud to God. In your car, out in the woods, in your basement corner, where somebody in your family say, what did you say? Nothing. Okay. (laughs) So... So go through all that. That's good. Okay, confess who he is, number 7 and 8. In verse 7 and 8, you are the Lord God who chose Abram, which is exalted father, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham, which is father of nations. 
You found his heart faithful before you made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites and all the rest of them to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. Confess not only who he is, but confess his calling in your life. For those people in Israel, when they mentioned Abraham, it wasn't just a distant forefather. It was the reason he was his faith and God's call on his life was the reason they were standing there. Are you with me? His, when they said Abraham, it meant that's why we're here right now. We are in the middle of God's promise to Abraham that he's never going to give up on. That's who we are. That's our calling, is the children of Abraham. What does it say in the New Testament? That we are all children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. And Ephesians is loaded with verses about, and it's not the only place about your calling in Christ, not as a pastor necessarily or an evangelist or that. That's in there too. But for every believer that you're called, you're chosen. God has a plan for you. You may not be discovering it yet. You may not see your gifts yet. But the first place you start is you believe and confess that you're called. Are you with me here? You're called by God. That's a pretty deep thing. You didn't know that when you started out. You thought you were just kind of like trying to figure stuff out, but God was calling you. It's a beautiful thing. Confess it. Who he is and confess his calling. 9 through 12, confess his deliverance. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, his servants, and the people of the land. For you knew that they acted proudly against them, against your people. And you made a name for yourself as it is this day, and you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Wow. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. Man, you delivered us, God. You delivered us and directed us. You know, they went into Egypt not as punishment. Did you know that? I mean, you could accuse them of deserving it. Joseph's brothers sold them as a slave. It was the 12 sons of Jacob and Jacob who ended up in Egypt, correct? They didn't go there as punishment. They went there uh, because there was famine in the whole region, and God used the famine and Joseph to bring good out of bad, to save many alive, as he would say. God was fulfilling his plan and delivering them even through their difficulty. And that's a hard one because it was 400 years. Some part of 400 years of difficulty, which is hard for you and I to fathom. 13 and 14, but they confessed his deliverance, his calling, and who he is. And then in 13 and 14, they confessed that his law is good. You came down also on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses, your servant." They confessed that his law is good. They came from a world of idols in Egypt. They came from a world of being slaves, treated harshly. And when they went out from there, all around them was more of the same. You know, if they weren't protected by God, it was more of the same for them. And, you know, these people had no bearing in themselves, in themselves about where to go, did they? I know where to go. It's okay. If the cloud moves, if the cloud disappears... That's okay, because I got a map to Canaan. These people weren't, didn't know where they were going. They had no bearings about which way to go. 
They had no basis of how to walk together and do this. And they had no boundaries to live by. What if God had just said, okay, I freed you. Go find Canaan. How would that have gone? Yeah. So in 1 John 5, 3, it says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're not heavy-weighted to make you grieve. You know, do you mean to say, Rick, or better yet, does the word of God in 1 John 5, 3 saying his commandments are not burdensome mean to say it's never hard to obey the Lord? How many of you feel like it's never hard to obey the Lord? Go like this. It's never, ever hard? It, it's hard sometimes. Is that, can we all agree about that? Do you know why it's hard? Because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. <laughs> because my human nature, that's been, I've been delivered from it. I'm born again. I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and my spirit's been made alive. But there's an old man, a dead man, the flesh, as we say. There's that that tries to pull you back and screams bloody murder when you start to obey, and it makes your flesh uncomfortable, your old nature. Does it ever make your flesh uncomfortable, your nature uncomfortable to obey God? Just about every time. There's never a time where you say, oh, your flesh says, your nature says, you know, that, that's exactly what I want to do. I wanted to die to myself, you know. I'm going to give myself a paper cut and pour lemon juice in it. Then I'm going to die to myself. Then I'm going to do all these things to, to, to be in pain and struggle to do the right thing. No, you don't choose that just because. As a Christian, we choose that. We choose the right way even when it's painful, when the world is screaming at us, when your friends are screaming at you. Don't go that way. When your own mind is screaming at you, no, you don't need to do that. And you do it anyway. You see, it doesn't mean it's never hard, but it, to obey the Lord will not harm you. It will heal you. It will not weaken you. It will strengthen you. It will not bring you low. It will lift you up. His commandments are not burdensome. I'm going to say it again. To obey God will not harm you. It will heal you. It will hurt, but it will heal you. It will not weaken you, but it will strengthen you. It will not bring you low, but it will lift you up. And it will free you eventually. But what the Proverbs tell us is the way of a transgressor is hard. One who's constantly battling against God has a tough road to go. I may have pain, I may have struggle, but it's a much better struggle than fighting God. You know, it's the old commercial, all my, all my examples are from a time when my mind worked. So that's why I use those, okay? So, you know, the Fram oil commercial, some of the guys will remember this. The mechanic standing there wiping his hands, there's an engine out there, or he's, re, he's rebuilding an engine. And they show a car with the car engine heating up. He goes, you know, you can come and get your, your oil filter. It's five bucks. Get your oil changed for 25 bucks. And on your way you go. Or you can pay me now or you can pay me later. Which will it be? You know, a rebuilt engine or an oil change? Some of the ladies' light is turning on. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> that, was, that was chauvinistic, wasn't it? Like. Because some of the ladies in this room are much better mechanics than this guy. But I wanted to feel better about myself for just a minute. Is that okay? Okay. I'm on my own. The guys are, all the guys are disappearing like we have nothing to do with that guy. 
you know, it should be that we're not so freaked out. We can't make a joke like that, by the way. Uh, but probably better not to. All right. So anyway, <laughs> moving right along, moving right along. Uh, confessing his law is good is the right way to go. They confess who he is. They confess his calling. They confess his deliverance. They confess that his law is good. And they confess his provision and direction. Look at verse 15. You gave them bread uh, from heaven for their hunger, brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. Wow. Wow. They were living in a miracle. Daily miracles, provision, water out of a rock, food on the ground in the morning. Their feet didn't swell, he's going to say, and their, and, and, and their clothes didn't wear out. Can someone, though, deny God's miracle power when they're right in the middle of experiencing it? You bet they can, don't you? Yeah, they can, and they did often. But the question is, could it be happening to people like you and me right now? Nobody in this room, but somebody you know, they're out there. Could it be happening to us? It happens to us, folks. Don't Hiding from the truth, hiding from a shortcoming doesn't heal you. It causes you more suffering. We can all acknowledge that we've fallen short of the glory of God and that we've, there's times when God, we're right in the middle of a miracle and we're still doubting the Lord because of the next thing that comes. And that's what they did. And that does happen to us. But if you confess his provision and his direction as you're walking through life, when the things that come, come, you have built up in you, in your spirit, faith and confidence in who the Lord is. It's hard. And if you speak it out loud, I'm going to beat it like a, until it's a glue, not just a dead horse, but glue. <laughs> if you speak it out loud and hear yourself say it, it does something to you. It holds you accountable later. You remember it more. It's not vague. May I suggest to you, the last thing, I can't tell you what you want, but that's how we use it. We say the last thing you want. I don't know what you want, <laughs> but I hope what you want. The last thing you want is a vague faith in Jesus. Because a vague faith, kind of, sort of, whatever, along with everything else in rainbows, is useless. It, it bears no fruit in your life. It doesn't change you. It's vague. Your understanding's vague. Your faith is vague. Your development is vague. But it doesn't stay vague. It goes south instead of north. Do you get what I'm saying? You don't want vague faith. You want real clear direction, and you want to hold yourself to that direction for your own benefit. God will do his work, but you have a part in this. So they confess his provision and his direction, 16 through 21. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey. Now, they just goofed up a little. No, no, no. They refused to obey. Well, they sinned and fell short of the glory. No, they refused to obey. That's called rebellion. And they appointed, it says, in their rebellion, look at halfway through 17, they appointed a leader to return to bondage. But you're ready to forgive, it says. And then in verse 18, and even when they made a molded calf for themselves, this was their basic rebellion, and said, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt, 
and work great provo- provocation, yet in your manifold mercy you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them the light and the way they should go. And you even gave them your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Who over the age of 30 has never had your feet get swollen up here? Maybe there's somebody. But, but, but like almost everybody here has either been on an airplane or hiked in bad shoes or did something and your feet swelled. All of us, you young'uns, just have so much to look forward to. That's, the, that's nothing, okay? <laughs> just look at what happens. But you know what? God sustained them. Their feet never swelled. Their shoes, their Birkenstocks never wore out. They didn't have to send them in for their free replacements. Their clothes, and they had food every day and water, and even after they sinned and rebelled. Now, this is just, they confessed their rebellion. You see, it's important. Most people are okay with saying, I've sinned. I fall short. I goofed. Oh, we're all sinners. Or we all goof up and mess up. Those are kind of easy words to say. But when you confess and repent of rebellion, you are acknowledging the deepest problem you have as a human. It isn't goofing up. We do goof up. Our nature is rebellious. This is a clear Bible teaching throughout the Word of God. doesn't mean you beat yourself up over it. It's you, you make sure you understand it. That my human nature is not just troubled or problematic it's rebellious and 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 so we're acknowledging the source of our sin we sin because we're sinner we don't (laughs) we're not sinners because we sin like oh i goofed i lied i did something wrong okay now i'm a sinner no we sin because we're sinful because we're sinful do you get that? There is a difference. It's, it's a biblical reality that has bearing on how you live life and understand yourself. And it's about how you pray to God and how much you let light into your life and are able to be changed by that light. So we go to the source of our sin. Because, you know, folks, we don't just fall short. We walk away. Now, am I suggesting that all of us are such rats well, yes, but no, <laughs> am I suggesting that we're all such rats, nobody ever does anything good, or that all Christians have turned away from the Lord and gone all the way down this long road? Of course not. I'm saying there are times. Can you look at yourself in the mirror? Can you look at the person next to you? And I'm not going to say turn to the person next to you. <laughs> Can you look at the people next to you and say, you know, I've never turned away from what God told me to do. I, I cannot do that. So I'm dragging you all down into my level, Okay. I can't say that. Can you? Can you really say you've never walked away? You know, what was that I heard? Was that the Lord? No, it was just probably a fly or something in my ear. On whatever level, go help that person. You mean that person I don't even know over there that seems to be hurting? Yeah, I want you to go. But what would I say to them? What would I do? No, I'm telling you, go. Yeah, I don't think that was the Lord because I have an appointment. I'm a Levite. I'm a priest. I have an appointment, if you know the story. So, I mean, in any way, shape, or form, we have all walked away. Do you have kids? Tell me they don't rebel. (laughs) 
Tell me your kid. My child is just wonderful, but occasionally they goof up. Well, are they ever rebellious? Oh, no, I don't even know what that word means about my child. Give me a break. Children are, by nature, rebellious. doesn't mean they don't have wonderful qualities and we don't love them. We'd do anything for them. We'd die for them. But that doesn't mean they're not rebellious because they have human nature and it's unrefined. <laughs> you think about it. Look around this room and go, and we're the refined? This is scary. <laughs> no offense. I'm looking at myself. We're the refined of them. We've had time to work on it and be cool and slick and, you know, find a way to make it look like we're not really being rebellious, which is even worse. You must become as little children. <laughs> Interesting. You take that angle. No guile. They don't know how to pretend and fake you out like that. But we can do it to ourselves and each other all the time, not to God. So it's okay. We're facing reality. They do repent of their sin. They confess his grace, his mercy, and his kindness. We're not going to read the rest of the chapter. God didn't need to actively punish them. The calf and the leaders, they made the calf and said, let's go back to Egypt. Now, I've been a Christian a pretty long time, and I've been a student of the Scriptures a long time, and I'm sure there's other people that have seen this, but I never thought about this until this week, though the concept's been with me. You know, God did not have, God says to Moses when he hears the dancing and the partying around the golden calf, step aside, Moses, I'll just wipe this people out. And of course, he's drawing Moses out. His name Moses means drawn out to get Moses to intercede because he's showing us the pattern of intercession of the better than Moses, the faithful in all his house, Jesus Christ. That's what that's about. It's not a man convincing God not to be so angry. That would, that would lose all the context of everything else the Scripture teaches us. You can't look at it that way, even though on the surface it's God says, step outside, Moses. Moses' intercession is a sign of God's work in his life. It's a sign of God's glory in Moses' life. It's not a sign of Moses being better than God. And, and, and so they go, God sends him down, and, and he punishes. And they send out, and the Levites kill 3,000. Make, Moses makes them drink the, the melted metal, and, you know, and, and there's this huge thing happens. You go, well, yeah, God's disciplining them. Well, let's look at God's discipline. All God had to do was say, Moses, what, you know what that is? Look what they're doing. <gasps> let's go, Lord. No, Moses... We're going to just sit here. I'll take care of you. You won't have to eat or drink for 40 more days. We're just going to stay here. We'll pull Joshua all the way up or send him back, whatever he wants to do. We'll just stay up here. What happens? These be your gods, O Israel, to take you back to Egypt. Come on, we have new leaders. You know, bozo and crazy. And Bozo and Crazy start leading these people out in the wilderness who were under a cloud of protection. The cloud overspread them, it tells us, protected them from the heat of the sun and led them in a direction that could get them from point A to point B. Are you with me? A pillar of fire a night kept enemies away from them and also gave them clarity and direction. And if they did walk at night, which they didn't often, it could direct them. They had manna to eat in a desert. They had water out of rocks. What would they have and what would they do if God just did what a lot of people say they wish God would do when they're in trouble? And I do understand there's pain and there's suffering people go through. And I understand this, but I want to highly encourage you to get past this, whatever it takes, to say, I wish God would just leave me alone. 
the worst possible thing you can say is, is to have God just leave you alone. Because all God had to do is say, no, Moses, we're going to stay, we'll stay here and play cards. <laughs> we'll stay here and talk about the future with you and me. We'll go get your family later. Because these people are dead in a week. If God allows them to go their own way, they're gone. They don't know the way back. They don't even know how they got where they are. They don't have food to eat without God's provision. They don't have water to drink. They're in a giant desert wilderness. Are you with me? It's his kindness and his grace that he disciplines his people in, even when it seems harsh. There are things that happen in life, whether it's discipline or just life because of sin, that you and I just don't understand. There's pain that I don't think we're ever going to explain to other people because we ourselves are still scratching our heads about some things. Do you know your goal isn't that you are the answer man or woman that knows everything about why everything happens and how it works, that you haven't been called to that. You haven't been given that. You don't know that. You know enough to know that God is good And you focus there, and the things you can't answer, you can't answer. Because you're not God. And you have to be comfortable with the unanswerable questions. But the way you be comfortable with the unanswerable is you learn all you can about what you can learn. And you internalize all that you can in relationship with God. And so these guys would get nowhere. They'd never get back to Egypt. And what if they did? We're here. We're back. (laughs) Oh, we've lost our soldiers. Our firstborn babies are dead. It's all your fault. Welcome back. We are going to make life. You're going to be in so much more bondage. Not one leek or onion. No flesh pots. Or they'd murder them right there. I mean, do you get this? There's no going back. There was no place to go but destruction. And God wisely and kindly did. They confessed. They confessed his grace and his mercy and his kindness, even in the midst of realizing that there was so much pain in their life that they had brought on themselves and maybe from others who led them astray. And uh, he goes on to say, in 20, he uh, confesses multiplied blessings in 26, but that we cast your law behind our backs. That's a scary thing. We just, you know, take a drive across the USA in your Chevrolet, <laughs> Take a, and, and, and look around and watch, have we cast God's law behind our back? Even though we weren't directly uh, oh, under the dominion of God's word, our laws were based on his laws. Our society was based on his. For better or worse on how people reacted and whether they were true Christians, that's what this nation was confessed. It was confessed. And you have to erase all the history and get rid of our money Get rid of all our statements by George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and thousands upon thousands of other historical figures. You have to, you have to exorcise, get rid of all those confessions that have been made about this nation as no other nation ever had it spoken. It's okay if people don't... Let people say, I don't think that matters anymore. I don't think that this matters. You can think what matters, but here's how we started and here's what we confessed as a nation. And now, it's the casting of God's law behind our back. And then they confess, and that's the reason in verse 36 that we are slaves in our own land today. 
They say, we pretty much blew it the whole time. But you were good the whole time. They confessed it. Confessing and obeying God is challenging, but disobeying God is devastating. And they say at the very last, verse 38, and this, all because of this, we make a sure covenant and write it, our leaders, our Levites, our priests, and seal it. Dave, come on up. You guys, yeah. That they said, we're going to make a new covenant. And what they do is they simply go back to the covenant God already established with them. They don't make up new ideas and new things. They just go back to go forward. Have you perhaps been here and heard me say this before? I didn't start this thought. Somebody said it to me, and it stuck with me for my whole life from that day forward. I wish it had stuck perfectly, but it has stuck. Sometimes in order to go forward, you have to go back. You have to go back to the truth that you started on, that you've strayed from, that you're missing. And if that's you today... You can be renewed in confession. It's yours. It's still yours. The covenant is there. We are under the new covenant of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a minute and just hear part of a song. I'll probably interrupt you. And then I'm going to lead you uh, to...